This is the Thrive Podcast with Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And now, Pastor Fred Jeff Smith. Hello, welcome to the latest edition of the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I think this is episode number 26, huh, Terrence? Episode number 25. Okay, so, so we're at our silver anniversary of, of these podcasts, and uh, I'm delighted that you've taken the time uh, to either view and or listen to the podcast, and we trust that you'll be edified and helped by sharing with us. Uh, we're delighted today to have Dr. Ezra Petrie who is the newest principal at McKinley High School. Dr. Petrie has a rich background as an associate professor and an assistant professor at, LA, I'm sorry, at Southern University. Let me make sure I get that right. At Southern University, the Mighty Jaguars of Southern University. And uh, he also uh, has served at Xavier University down in New Orleans. Yes. Dr. Petrie, thank you so much for taking the time to come and share with us today. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm extremely excited about, you know, uh, working with the kids in the community. Yes. I'm, uh, T- tell us about Esrom Peach. Give us a give us a brief bio of, of Esrom Peach. Well, uh, I started teaching about twenty years ago over at Scotlandville High School. I was one of the first uh, basketball coaches to. I was a basketball coach to bring the program back. I inherited a program that was zero twenty. And uh, we were able to take that team to the playoffs uh, for the first time after three years. Really? Uh, yes. So I, I taught there for a few years. Then I went on out to East Ascension. I was the head coach out there. We were able to have a little bit of success. Uh, then I decided to go to Colorado State to get my uh, doctorate degree okay. uh, in educational leadership where uh, I wrote on the overrepresentation of African-American males in special education. Uh, and, you know, at that time, you know, I worked in higher ed trying to uh, recruit teachers to go teach in urban settings. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I, you know, taught and worked, uh, my wife and I decided that we wanted to come back to uh, come back home. And at that time, I looked in Ascension because that was the last place that I taught, and they had the lowest performing high school in mm-hmm. the area. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I taught it, and, and listening to some of the students, they were like, well, you're talking more theoretical. Uh, those things would never work in a high school. Mm-hmm. And so I said at that point, you know, oh, they have a valid point. You, you know, I need to go and actually do it. And I thought going into Donaldsonville, uh, it was at a 54, 56 F. Uh, and, you know, within three years, we were able to bring the scores up to like a 118 B. Is that right? Yes. And we were also able to uh, improve the graduation rate from about 68% to 90%, so mm-hmm. helping kids graduate. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, I got a call to go out to the University of Houston and start a, a doctoral program for uh, um, people who were interested in getting a, a degree in educational leadership. I did that for about two years. Uh, my wife got pregnant, and I returned back to Baton Rouge at Xavier University, started a doctoral program for them, uh, then came on over to Southern in hopes to start a program here. And then lastly, I was called to go out to New Orleans to start a charter school uh, in Athlos Academy where I was the CEO, uh, recruited quite a few folks to uh, the teachers, the leadership team. And then I got the call and, and, and noticed that uh, McKinley High was open with the tradition, mm-hmm. uh, you know, being one of the first black high schools in the area. I said, you know, this is an opportunity that I really couldn't pass up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that brings us here to McKinley High School. And <laughs> You have a rich, rich background. 
I, I want to step back mm-hmm. to your doctoral dissertation on overrepresentation of African American males in special education. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate on that just a little bit, please? Uh, yes. Uh, what I was able to do when I was over at uh, Scotlandville, I actually uh, taught special education. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, those kids I was really passionate around because, you know, uh, people who had given them a stigma that they were bad or they couldn't perform something like that. And, and, and working with those kids, getting to know them and getting them to perform, mm-hmm. I noticed that, you know, that wasn't the case. You just needed to spend time with them and you needed to try different methods to educate them. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when I moved out to Ascension, it was kind of the same thing where I saw all uh, or a lot of African-American kids, uh, uh, African-American kids in special education. So, you know, as I started looking at it, when I went out to work on my doctorate, I said, this is something that I really want to study and see what's going on. And I wanted to do it differently. I wanted to go to the students in different areas and find out what their experience was like in those classrooms. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I found out, you know, just how bad it was for those students in the classroom, I said, you know, uh, as a teacher, you can make some changes, but it really starts with the leadership. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I said, you know, I'm teaching teachers and, and training teachers, but one teacher going in a classroom, you know, they can make a difference in that classroom. But if you're an administrator, you can make a difference on a whole campus. And so in looking at the students and uh, seeing where they were, I uh, looked at Donaldsonville High School as 99 percent African-American with about a 25 percent special education population. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, you know, this is the school to really go in and see if you can do something with our special education population. Mm-hmm. And we were able to help them really uh, graduate and perform just as well as many of the students, the, the regular education students. And it started now they were in focused. special ed because of disciplinary problems or because of learning disabilities? What, what It was what? a combination, okay. a combination of uh, learning disabilities and, uh, you know, just discipline problems. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in looking at it, that was uh, something, too, that you really had to focus because it was a lot of it was on the discretion of, you know, the folks who were in charge. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I noticed, even as a principal, uh, and I would get really upset with my uh, staff is, you know, I didn't want them to follow along with me. And so sometimes I would go in meetings and say, uh, you know, I feel that this kid should be suspended. Mm-hmm. I really didn't feel that way. Uh, but I wanted to see how the staff would feel because they knew that that kid shouldn't be that, that way. And so some of them would agree just because I said it first. Okay. And then I would know, you know, you get a few to say, no, I really don't believe that. And, um, you know, for those folks, I'd never suspend them or anything, but I'd get on on the staff and say, you know, I need you to not agree with me. I need you to understand what's going on with these mm-hmm. kids and to the, and the really, you know, um, be an advocate for the students, mm-hmm. not just accepting anything that anybody uh, through. Because I may not be here forever, but I, I really need you. If you go teach somewhere else, you have to be an advocate for, for the students. Yeah. And um, that taught me that anything could happen. Working working with kids, working with the kids at Scotland via Ascension, and then uh, back at Donaldsonville, it taught me uh, really when you inspire students, regardless of how you classify them, 
uh, they can perform well. Mm-hmm. And you, you can rip down the stigmas of everything if you inspire students to, to think, to learn, to achieve, and to care. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one of the things that I strive to do in every position is just inspire those students, you know, uh, work with teachers to get better, uh, because as the teachers get better, the students get better in that process. What do you see as the major difference uh, between black males who are labeled as special ed and black females who are labeled as special ed? Well, I think, you know, uh, when I look at the, at first it's, it's, it's way more black males that's typically uh, labeled as special ed- education, especially for emotional disorder. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think sometimes the IEP is, is, is written in a way for black males to, to be kind of scary for a person just looking at it for the first time. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes in looking at an IEP, uh, the teacher get the wrong perception and already have the you know defensive help, mechanism. Help, help my listeners. Individual learning. <laughs> right. Because, because when you just throw out the IEP, I'm sure there are teachers who listen who know right. exactly what you're talking about, but, mm-hmm. but there are others who might not know. Yes, yes. Okay. So uh, I think when you look at the males in special education, uh, they kind of live up is is that self fulfilling prophecy. If you say I'm bad, uh, mm-hmm. and then I start to believe it after a while, then I act bad. And some now, of this labeling starts as early as elementary school, second and third grade. Right. Uh, the, the kids that I interviewed started in second. Yeah. And what was troubling with those students is that. Um, the grade level that they were reading on was about the level that they entered special education in. And what they really talked about was uh, the low-level work that mm-hmm. they had to do, you know, look through the yellow pages. And, you know, uh, they described to me that they felt like the wall- walls were closing in on them and, you know, they just was mad at everybody just yeah. because they were in there and they were ready to take their frustrations out on anybody, the first person they saw. So it was, again, that self-fulfilling prophecy of yeah. you, you say I'm bad, I act bad. For for the females, uh, typically, um, you know, for the females, it, it was very few on the emotional uh, and disorder side. Uh, but the few that was there was typically, you know, uh, it started from fights and, you know, verbal, uh, I guess, verbal abuses, which we call it. But you would see that behavior uh, much less in females and even the males when you when you talk to them calmly and, and, and really try to help them understand what was going on. Many of them wanted to try to get out of special education. Sure. And, you know, what I found in trying to help kids get out through my span of, of teaching is that, you know, no one was really wanting to uh, participate in that. And uh, that was one of the things that really pushed me to go and figure out, like, what is going on? What is the experience like? And, you know, is that experience really beneficial for the students after, you know, school? Was there a problem with parental involvement in in these cases? Did you see a pronounced uh, uh, glaring defect where parents were not uh, advocating for their children? Well, the the parents didn't advocate much for uh, their kids at all. Uh, for most of the parents, the, when they decided to advocate was when you, when I tried to take their kids out of special education. And so that was more of a, a problem for uh, the parent 
you know, like, don't ever try to take my kid out of special education. I can remember a time where, you know, uh, a parent wanted me fired because I was working and a kid was performing so well. I was like, and the kid was looking forward to really getting out. And the parents said, don't ever, ever try to take that. And the principal told me, you know, that's not your job to do. That's for the lead special education person. And, you know, don't try that anymore. So <laughs> is there an economic uh, consideration to being labeled special ed? Or do, does the child receive a uh, different kind of compensation uh, because they're labeled special ed? I'm trying to figure out why a parent would not want their child yes. uh, labeled special education. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, for, you know, schools, Schools typically receive a little bit more money uh, for special education. So let's say the average student uh, get about six thousand. Maybe a special needs uh, emotional disorder would get uh, maybe ten ten thousand. Um, mm-hmm. And then you know someone with severe would get maybe twenty one thousand per student. Uh, and then on top of that, you know for emotional disorder or behavior, typically parents get. Uh, a compensation for that directly. Uh, I'm not sure how much. But so they're willing to allow their child to struggle in a special education program where he does not need to be uh, in yes. order to receive additional compensation. Yes, some parents were uh, actually... Tragic. Right. Some, some parents were actually doing that, and it was amazing to me because I couldn't figure out why, and, and it was really at a point where... Um, you know, the principal walked in and told me, hey, um, you know, if you did this again, we would have to let you go. And so then I was like, well, something is totally not right with this system. And that's what really piqued my interest in mm-hmm. saying, I have to go study this and see what is going on with yeah. our students. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, <laughs> so you're, you're, you're moving from the college arena Back into the high school arena. I know you said you started in the high school arena. And now, right. now you're going back into the high school arena. Can you share with us what you see as the major differences between teaching at a college or on the college level and, and serving as an administrator of a high school? Well, uh, the biggest difference teaching at a university uh, is that, you, you know, you have a lot more autonomy at the university in, in terms of who you are teaching the folks actually pay you to come, and most of the students are graduate students, so they are working to get a master's. Mm-hmm. And so you have a little bit more, um, uh, you, you know, it's more selective. Mm-hmm. Um, in the high school setting, it's whoever comes is, is more of a challenge. Mm-hmm. And so you're dealing with any the, the whole community and more uh, in terms of, you know, making sure that you can help every student. And so uh, when you're talking about 12, 1,300 kids, that's a whole lot that you are accountable for. So, you, you know, uh, a high school, you definitely have more accountability. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more accountable to the, the university. You get to study the issues and you get to, you know, practice. Um, you get to research uh, and, and all those things. So you can go into the school you can research it, and then you can write a book about it. You can do things like that. You can you can uh, make it a part of the learning process for some of the adults who are actually going to be going out to be principals. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a principal, though, you 
have a greater impact on the whole community and you have a direct impact on the lives of the students at hand. So, you know, I look at a professor as being far, you know, away and, and someone who's kind of shining a light, but the principal is right there in the action. And, uh, you know, you can make a difference in kids' lives right away, whereas a professor, it, it may take a while for your administrators or the people you've taught mm-hmm. to get in that position to be able to make a difference. Okay. Um, I also heard you say that uh, you have been through the charter program and, and, and uh, you were an administrator in the charter program, mm-hmm. and uh, now you're back in a public school setting right. at McKinley High School. <sighs> What's your well? Clearly, you're you're, you're probably pro charter. What what as a concept? Mm-hmm. What's your what's your feelings about charter schools? Well, I think uh, the charter schools definitely uh, have a uh, a great concept uh, in terms of you know being able to. I think there's a little bit more freedom and autonomy in the charter schools, mm-hmm. and uh, also in the charter schools, you know all the rules don't necessarily apply. And so I think that's a, something that, you know, a lot of people miss, you know, some of the rules. Everyone has to take the statewide exam, yes, but in in different scenarios, the charter schools get to uh, not necessarily have to follow certain rules at different times. And so that is, you know, probably the biggest difference that I see. And then in some instances, you know, some charter schools are for profit. Right. And so, um, you know, they have a, a, a mechanism or a way to make, you know, more of a profit, and, and that money doesn't necessarily go back into the students, where in the district you're dealing with a, a much larger uh, group, and typically that money go back into the schools. Right. Um, you know, what's hard about a district, though, is sometimes it's hard for schools to change and transform themselves in certain areas, whereas charters can really um, come in with a specific focus and uh, really change almost immediately. Well, I think it takes a little longer for uh, district schools to be able to uh, change and turn around like that. But I think, you know, there's benefits to uh, really both, you know, when you're in communities uh, where, you know, it's been an F school forever, um, you know, it's hard to say no to anything. You know, giving parents an option is is not necessarily a bad thing. I think, you know, just being able to uh, allow districts to be able to do some of the things would maybe level the playing fields a little bit uh, more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, he, here's the thing. Uh, for those who, I, I wouldn't say oppose charter schools, but have questions about charter schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, the concept of taking public school dollars mm-hmm. away from schools that probably need them the most mm-hmm. uh, in order to fund and underwrite a charter school mm-hmm. uh, just seems disadvantageous mm-hmm. to to some of the children who, who need the most mm-hmm. attention. And and so, from a conceptual standpoint, that that that's problematic for right. some people. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, then here locally, I I know that there are places where charter schools have stellar records right. and have done wonderful things, but here locally, charter schools have not done any better 
than public schools. And, and, and right. you're starting to have a lengthy record of that now. Mm-hmm. Charter schools have been around for several years now. Right. And if you look at the record, charter schools don't, don't fare any better. Uh, our charter school students don't fare any better than public school students. Right. And so the question then becomes, well, if you're not doing any better in this situation mm-hmm. than you are in the public school situation, then why should we continue to underwrite and fund this? Yes, yes, and I, I totally agree. You know, when you think of like a capital high, I think right. you've had quite a few charter schools to come in, charter organizations to come in and run capital, and they haven't fared well at all uh, over those years that they've been taken over. So I definitely agree with you on that. Um, in different places in Louisiana, I guess it would look a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Uh, here in Baton Rouge, though, I think... Uh, you know, the, the, the district schools are uh, doing much better. Um, you you have to uh, really figure out how to, uh, you know, level the playing field is, is what I, I would say. If, you know, the schools are not performing well um, and you allow charter schools to do certain things, you should also allow those district schools to do that as well. Yeah. And, and, and you know, for me, uh, the biggest thing that I see is that it's not necessarily fair all the way around for uh, the district schools or um, the traditional public schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that is probably the biggest thing. My kids are out of school now, so I have to ask. Right. It, it, are there still uh, LEAP test requirements? Uh, yes. It's, it's uh, uh, LEAP 2025 uh, in the course testing, and there's still tests um, that go along with you know, testing that goes along with, you know, graduating and being able to move on. Okay, so that when my kids were in school, there was a fourth grade leap test and then there was an eighth grade leap test and then you had to take exit the exit exam. exam. Right. It's still that, that model? It's um, it, Right now you test in every grade. I think uh, they're going back to the same model where uh, fourth and eighth grade is the highest stakes. Okay. And so typically you would have to take that or the district would have to, district or the charter school would have to write some type of progression plan mm-hmm. for uh, schools to be able to move kids from that fourth to fifth and from eighth on over. Uh, in high school, you take the leap, it's EOC right now. And so they would take the EOC and they have to pass two or three or the four uh, in order to graduate. And EOC stands for? The course testing. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be moving to LEAP 2025 20, okay. for uh, high schools. Let's talk about private and parochial schools mm-hmm. for a second. Is it is it fact or fiction that private and parochial schools don't have to pass the same tests that kids in public schools have to pass. They don't have to take it at all. They don't have to take it at all. Right. So a child can go through 12 years of secondary education, elementary and secondary education, and never have to take a LEAP test. That's correct. And that's deemed by someone to be fair. Yes. I I think, um, you know, here under the state guidelines the schools that are governed by the state have to follow the state rules uh and you know private and parochial pretty much make their own rules uh as but they are licensed by the state it might not be the same license that Mm -hmm. that a public school has right but but they do have a license am am i correct in that they have a you have to go through an accreditation process right right Mm -hmm. Yes, and so it seems fundamentally unfair that <laughs> that, that you can go through uh, a pro- that 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 
if if your parents have the economic means mm-hmm. to uh, provide for you a private school education, right. that you you get to forego mm-hmm. uh, the same level of testing right. that public schools mm-hmm. have to forego. I mean, ha- have to endure. Right now, uh, you know, your private like Southern Lab and University uh, High uh, or LSU Lab. They have to take the exam. Yeah, because they're not really private. Schools. Right. I, I spent some time in Southern Lab. I, I right. went to Southern Lab. I went to Baton Rouge High School. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was a part of the first group that was in the magnet school. Right. So I, I, I'm aware of those. Uh-huh. But I'm talking more along the lines of Catholic High. Yes. Uh, Parkview Baptist. Right. Episcopal High School. Yes. Schools mm-hmm. like that. Right. Is it is it reasonable? Is it fair? Is it right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to get you in trouble. I'm just asking a question. Right. Is it right that those children do not have to take the leap test or whatever uh, uh, standardized test in order to uh, graduate? Mm-hmm. And and Johnny and Susie and Jane, who are in uh, Westdale Middle mm-hmm. or at McKinley High School, right. have to take those exams. Well, you, um, you know, looking at it on the surface, that definitely would be uh, fundamentally, if you're looking at all kids, you would say, hey, um, what you do for one, you do for all. And, and uh, that's what you would hope that, yeah. that takes place. What a novel concept. <laughs> what you do for one, you do for all. Right. That, 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 that. That's a good idea. <laughs> I, I hope somebody takes you up on, on that. Uh, I, I've always had a problem. Uh, with with uh, not not with the concept of private schools, I think that if churches and and individual groups want to be able to sponsor a school and they mm-hmm. have the means to do that, uh, they they have every right in the world to do that. But if you're going to sponsor a school, then the school, in my opinion, needs to play by the same rules mm-hmm. that 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 you play right. uh, in the public school system. Mm-hmm. And 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 in that. Let's be fair and, mm-hmm. and, and objective in that most of the children who attend these private and parochial schools are uh, Anglo. Mm-hmm. They're Caucasian. Mm-hmm. Uh, the overwhelming majority of them are Caucasian. Uh-huh. Then then the overwhelming majority of those who have who struggle with these leap tests and exit exams and standardized tests are African-Americans mm-hmm. and other minorities. Mm-hmm. And so it, it gives a skewed picture mm-hmm. when WBRZ and WFB comes on the air and says this school is a D school or this school is an F school or this school and and and, and Episcopal is this and that. Episcopal didn't have to take the same test mm-hmm. that 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 these schools took. Catholic didn't have to take the same right. test. So is that a fair comparison? That's like saying uh, McKinley High's football team is on the same level as New England Patriots because they both play football. Right. They, they both play on, on, on a field that's 100 yards, right. but it's two entirely different games mm-hmm. altogether. Right. Now, that's my rant. Mm-hmm. I, help me because you're the expert. And, and d- d- does my rant have merit or, or not? Well, I, I think, you know, depending on who you would ask, uh, it would probably lead you to different conversations uh, because I think at the end of the day, when you get to the end, uh, it's going to result in the ACT is what is going to matter the most. So all of them are going to take the ACT. Right. Uh, I think the difference in uh, the private school is they get to really decide and chart uh, the curriculum path to the ACT. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, I mean, they get more leverage to, to be able to do that. Commonly and, called teaching to the test. 
Well, I don't, I don't know if you would call it uh, teaching to the test. I think, you know, uh, it's just, it, it, it allows you to be more flexible. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, in regular school or in most public schools that have to take the test, you have to be more focused. And so we can have a conversation about, um, you know, I don't know, issues that are affecting the community. Uh, in, in, in in some of these uh, schools or teach a leadership program mm-hmm. uh, or have leadership where we're going to study, you know, the leadership in South Baton Rouge mm-hmm. uh, in, 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 in these schools because there's no set curriculum in terms of the order of how things need to look. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you are in a traditional school, the state says, okay, you have to have four uh, English four classes. These are the classes that you have to take. And so, and this is the test that's going to be associated with it. So, you know, uh, that makes it a little bit um, different in terms of that, you know, so. As an African-American male Mm -hmm. teaching uh, uh, African-American students, Mm -hmm. do you think it makes a difference whether or not uh, black boys and girls see a black male or black female instructor mm-hmm. on a regular basis as opposed to seeing a white male or female instructor uh, w- without consideration to competency or qualification. Just does it make a difference to that child to see a black instructor? I think it's always important to have mentors that you could see, uh, and that mentor could be black or white. Uh, I think it's important to see someone who looked like you to give you that hope for mm-hmm. many students that you can be that next person. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think it's important to uh, have someone, you know, if you're going through kindergarten to sixth or seventh grade, uh, you should see a few folks that look like you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but I also think it's important to have, um, teachers that are culturally competent and who are aware. And so I, you know, in, in seeing people who are like you or look like you, that is not always, um, the, the, the perfect alignment because in, in my experience, uh, in school, or not not in school actually, but as a school leader, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that I, I noticed that uh, many of the folks who looked like the kids were the ones who were treating the kids, you know, uh, pretty bad, mm-hmm. and 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 the kids looked up to them, mm-hmm. and so you know you, you you have to make sure that whoever you put before kids really are dedicated to inspiring those kids dedicated to you know uh, making sure those kids have success uh dedicated to uh, you know seeking just seeking out the best way to help these mm-hmm. kids uh become who they will be mm-hmm. uh you know helping them find their talent you know yes of course it it can make a difference but you have to make sure that the folks that you put before them are good, solid role models. Right. And that's the part that, you know, you really have to focus in on. There was a statistic that I came across mm-hmm. uh, a couple of weeks ago and I actually included it in one of my Sunday morning messages that uh, while these Baton Rouge Parish public school system is 75% African-American, mm-hmm. 60% of the instructors are white mm-hmm. and that that kind of disproportion mm-hmm. is troubling to mm-hmm. me now i know those are just numbers and i know that there's always a story behind the numbers and, right but I'm, I'm just curious as to uh, what kind of an impact it makes 
on a student mm-hmm. when when they don't see someone who looks like them mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in the leadership role in the classroom? Well, you, you know, again, I go back to, you know, making sure uh, the first person that's in front of those kids really, really care. Uh, my staff, we had 99% African-American students, mm-hmm. um, but we had um, 50% black and 50% white teachers. And so... This was the charter school? This was, you know, Donaldsonville High Donaldsonville School. Donaldsonville High School. Okay. Right. And uh, what I noticed that, you know, in order for us to be successful, we had, ki- uh, y- you know, teachers, both black and white, who were dedicated to those kids. And so the dedication uh, was, you know, you know, being in that kid life, making sure that that kid was having success. Uh, I, you know, we built a culture where uh, the kids looked up and, and, and the teachers worked with kids, you know, you know, all the kids as if they were their own. Our, our school was just like a big family. And, and mm-hmm. the kids told me, hey, uh, we hate to see you leave because, you know, we've been a big family here. You know, teachers gone out, and, and and both white and black bought these kids clothes. You know, uh, bought them to different things. So I think, while it's important to have that that role model uh, piece, uh, you have to get to the point where you can also train others. You know, it's it's sixty five percent. You know, white teachers. How do we get them to be culturally competent enough to be able to assist and help elevate? the students to another level and inspire those students. Um, you know, not as many African-Americans students are actually going into education right. anymore. Uh, you know, Southern is at an all-time low and yes. Gremlin is at an all-time low in, in producing teacher educators. Yes. And so I think making sure you have people who are culturally competent, uh, people who are passionate around uh, students, all students, you know, and so if... If you are a passionate person about all students and look at every kid as if they're your own, you're going to you're gonna make sure that that kid has success. You're going to make sure that you push that kid to the limit. You're going to make sure that you put an arm around them when they need uh, that tough love, when they, when, when they need uh, folks to step in and, and, and do what they need to do for them. So I think um, while it's, it, it is important, you know, there's no way of getting around that, mm-hmm. uh, you do have to have... Uh, the knowledge and you have, have to have the willingness to go the extra mile for students. And I think that looks black or white, you, you, you know, uh, just being able to get in there and uh, make a difference in that kid's life. When it comes to selecting faculty, mm-hmm. uh, how much input do you as the principal have in that? Uh, is are, are you as principal walking into a room with a pre-selected group of people or do you have a say in in who your personnel is well uh you definitely have a say in in the positions that's available okay. and so in a in any school that you would come into they would have a set group of teachers that's there that's going to be you're going to have to work with and then you're going to have a few that you're going to actually bring in okay. uh in this process you know uh superintendent drake has been incredible in allowing me to bring folks in that I need uh, in order to, you know, help move the school in a positive mm-hmm. direction. And so, you know, uh, being able to, you know, select, mo- in most uh, schools you are able to select, um, but it's just, you, you know, it takes time as people leave or as you help 
folks exit, right. then uh, you're able to kind of select some folks through that process. You mentioned that 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 not a large number of African Americans are going into mm-hmm. education these days. Uh, is that purely a matter of economics, or do you see it as something else? Well, I see it. Uh, you know, as times have changed, um, the universities haven't changed in terms of uh, the recruitment and how you go about getting, you know, uh, African American teachers. And so I think, you know, uh, there's a lot of different sectors you could be in right now, and it takes way more effort than it did in the past. Folks went to Southern because their parents went there, their relatives went there in education. And so it was just a pipeline of educators actually going there. Mm-hmm. And so now, since times have changed a little bit, uh, you have to have a different recruiting tool, a different target of folks that you actually go in to seek out to, to, to uh, get an education. Mm-hmm. And then you have to be in the forefront. Like, if you have a failing school, we have a few failing schools in, in uh the area, mm-hmm. you know, but you have to be at the forefront. If, if Capitol High is, is a failing school, you have to be there on the grounds to know, you know, number one, why are they failing and how can I assist? And uh, I think the, the universities have not been totally involved like that uh, anymore. They were once involved, but not quite as much. And I think your involvement kind of helps you generate ideas as to what's needed for the schools. Mm-hmm. And then once you're able to you know, uh, see what's needed, you can go out and recruit and train. Mm-hmm. And instead of folks coming to you, you go out to the folks and you get them and you train them in the community or in the schools. Mm-hmm. And then that's how you really build that pipeline of strong teachers. Okay. Um, with regard to certification, mm-hmm. all East Baton Rouge Parish School teachers have to be certified. Is that true? I would say, uh, according to the state, you know, um, most teachers teachers need to be uh, certified in order to teach, yes. And that's not necessarily true in private and parochial schools. That's correct. So there's another difference between private and parochial and, yes. and public schools. Yes, private schools get to pick whoever they feel is best. Uh, charter schools get to have a little wiggle room in terms of you know, if they want to choose a, a certified person here now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for public schools, typically you uh, got to have someone who's certified or working on certification yeah. uh, is, is what you would want to get. So most schools would be staffed with at least 80 to 90, 90% uh, certified staff. Okay. So we've talked about the, oh, right. the, the, the constructs of, of the school system mm-hmm. and, and, uh, your responsibilities as administrator mm-hmm. and leader. Uh, this is a church podcast, mm-hmm. so I, I need to turn this towards the spiritual. How do you see the the role of the church in assisting to help our students succeed in school? What can we as the church do? Well, Besides I, having these back-to-school fairs where we hand out loose-leaf paper and, you know, we do that in, in August and then you don't ever hear anything again. What, what is it that we as the – help me to know what, what, what I can lead Shiloh in doing to help public school kids. I think uh, being a part of, and a fabric of the community, you're there already uh, in terms of making sure that you're able to touch the lives of kids. That means, you know, doing a variety of things. I think, you know, uh, 
getting outside of the building and being being a part of you know various mentoring programs that uh, where you mentor uh, kids, mm-hmm. uh, being a part of that, uh, being a part of um, you know um, even having some athletic type programs because they enjoy that Uh, but also looking at academically how can we assist uh, with programs to help kids be able to read better be be able to help kids you you know so it may be uh, even having a computer lab and someone who are, who's able to kind of help kids continue to build, continue to learn, even after school is over. You know, uh, we get to have kids from 7 to about 3 o'clock, right. 2.30. Right. Uh, it would be awesome if, if kids can continue to go some in, in, into another space where they can continue their learning uh, under the supervision of, you know, adults who are uh, there for them, who's praying for them constantly, mm-hmm. uh, and who's able to mentor them as well. Because, you know, uh, in life, there's, there's always tough challenges and, and tough decisions to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, always having an adult um, who's a leader to help lead kids in making the right decisions or when they make the wrong decisions, how to get back on track from mm-hmm. those decisions. So mm-hmm. I think the church can really help in a lot of ways. Uh, they can help in first praying for, you, you, you know, the schools, but, you know, being more visible mm-hmm. uh, and letting kids know that, you know, uh, it's, it's okay. Sometimes, you, you know, I was a young kid. I made some mistakes. Right. And, um, you know, just being being that uh, voice to speak up for kids too, mm-hmm. when uh, things are not going well. You know, because one of the things that I found when I was principal uh, before is that no one listened to the kids, uh, and no one heard or, or wanted to hear their voice. Yeah. And you know, uh, one of the things that I formulated or worked through was the Ministry Alliance. So I met with them about once a month. And, you know, uh, kind of gave them the run of how the school was going mm-hmm. and then how they could help us uh, throughout the way. Um, we created a, a teachers versus preachers basketball game <laughs> where, where the kids were. Uh, the preachers did. <laughs> uh, they won, they, they won they one. Won. They, okay. they lost the first one, and then they won the, They ended up winning the second one. <laughs> okay. Go ahead, my brother. Yes. So, uh, but that was a, a good way for the kids to kind of come and see uh, the teachers in a different light. Uh-huh. They got to coach the teachers, and they got to cheer. And, you know, when I say uh, the gym was – was packed. Oh yeah, we had more people in the gym than we could have at a regular game. Right. If a pastor's gonna go out there and play ball, he's gonna tell every member. Right. To watch me put. Yes. (laughs) You know they had shirts and different things, and uh, what our students decided to do, and this was a way of giving of the students giving back, uh, and and the school, the. Uh, all the gate and proceeds went to the ministerial alliance, okay. the concession and everything, and they could utilize that money to help families or pay bills. Some of the things that the churches do without uh, everyone, anyone even knowing in, in most cases. So that was the way our students wanted to give, give back. And so when I, I think about just inspiring students, when you have kids really coming up with some of the ideas of, you know, how, how we can partner, you know, um, when you, when you have ministers come and students are actually leading the conversation and they have that rich dialogue, then you really get to 
exactly what is going to work uh, or what's going to help the students. Uh, a lot of times when, you, you know, the adults kind of thinking about it in a lot of different ways, but the students always know and they tell you what's best and what will right. work. You just have to listen a lot of times. Well, time. I found that out a couple weeks ago. Uh, a couple weeks ago we had, we, we, we recorded this podcast, mm-hmm. and I had three of the youth of Shiloh sitting where you're sitting. Right. And uh, it, it's interesting. There's a vast difference between talking to another adult about young people uh-huh. and talking to young people. Right. Uh, we think we know. Yes. And, and I was schooled uh, by, by my young people. Right. And it, 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 it was a refreshing mm-hmm. and eye-opening and very uh, insightful right. conversation. So I, I certainly agree with you about talking to them mm-hmm. and, and learning from them. Right. Uh, I also think that the idea of working with mentoring programs uh, is is great. Uh, I just want to be sure that churches recognize that their responsibility to mm-hmm. their students, their, right. to their kids, goes beyond a back-to-school program in August right. and, and that more can be done yes. throughout right. the year. Uh, as this is being recorded, because mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I never know when people are going to listen to this this stays up forever so they might listen to it a year from now as this is being recorded it's july Mm -hmm. uh here in baton rouge and we have our uh summer camp going on right and it's an academic summer camp we have regular class kids are going to classes while they are here which leads me to the question that i have asked other others who have sat in your seat Mm -hmm. what's your attitude about year-round schooling Well, that's a good question. <laughs> I I do think that uh, it can be beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at some of the schools that are, are students that are performing uh, very well, there's a school out in Brobridge, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's able, It's TM Landry, I think it is. Uh, they're able to send, you know, uh, just about the whole senior class, which is about 15 to 20 students to Ivy League schools and they do year round. So I think it's some positive in that. Um what is pretty uh, pretty tough when with um traditional schools are you know, I think the the rigor and, and how hard teachers have to work from the start of the year to that testing mark uh would lead to, to, to a little burnout. And so I think while you know, those summer months, students actually, you know, uh, lose information if they're not actually, right. uh, uh, you know, involved in something educational. I think uh, year-round school could be uh, very positive for most uh, students. Uh, I just would worry about the burnout factor for, uh, you know, teachers, well, administrators. Well, here's the thing. Uh, if I sent you to the back when we get through taping and, and you walked around— a heavy percentage, I don't know exactly how many, but a heavy percentage of those people who are working okay. in our summer camp are school teachers. Right. And, and so you, you bring it up burnout, but they're working in, in, in a classroom-type setting. It's, mm-hmm. it's not as formal as, as they right. would be in their school, but they're working in a classroom-type setting even right now through the summer. Right. So, and, and, and through the summer, there's a more uh, likes type program is not you know uh with uh the day-to-day grind of a you know what a teacher is expected to do mm-hmm. 
and uh, you know, making sure that you're able to follow the curriculum. Uh, it's a it's it's a lot on teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, where in you know private schools, you may have an opportunity because you are in charge of your curriculum. Uh, at this TM Landry, they go to school year round, but for an hour in the day, the kids maybe just be pay- playing chess. So it's a thinking process, and we're actually mm-hmm. learning. Uh, and you have another group of students that's building a robot. Okay. And so the students are deciding on what, they, what they're going to learn. Mm-hmm. And so I think it depends on really how you handle it. If you're going and you're saying it has to be this, this, and this, mm-hmm. then there's a burnout factor for everyone involved, for the okay. two students and the teachers. But if it's a, it's a natural environment where I'm coming into – uh, this auditorium, and I get to decide where I want to learn today. I mean, that's an awesome opportunity for kids and everyone, and it's not as stressful. The teacher's more of a facilitator of that process. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, how you set it up and how it's done matters the most. And and, and it definitely can make a difference in the students. It's made a difference out in TM Landry. Mm-hmm. It's made a difference in a, a lot of other schools. But it, it, it takes, you know, uh, the, the, the curriculum, it takes parents being involved. Right. Uh, it takes a whole lot to ensure that that's able to happen. As a pastor, mm-hmm. one of the more frustrating things for me is the pervasive belief by people both in and out the church mm-hmm. that they know what I do for a living. Mm -hmm. and that they know how I do it and that if I would just do it the way they think I should do it, then things would be so much better. I hear football coaches talk all the time Mm -hmm. about the fact that uh, the fact that you sit in the stands and watch a game doesn't mean you know anything about what it takes in order Mm -hmm. to prepare a team to play a game. Mm -hmm. As a, a professor, as an instructor, as a uh, a, a principal, mm-hmm. how frustrating is it to you that everybody in the world wants to tell you how to do your job? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not it's not very frustrating to me because I do I, I like listening and I, I listen to you know everything that folks have to say and you know it's it's I've been a coach before so you know folks can <laughs> coach from the sideline yeah. and coach after the fact, uh, but you know uh, as the principal. In the moment, everyone don't always have all the facts. And so you have to, at all times, uh, number one, pray that you are able to make the best decision for kids. Every morning, that's what I wake up and, and, and pray that God give me, <laughs> or lead my mind in making the best decision for kids. And sometimes that upset a lot of adults. But uh, when I leave and I know that I've made the best decisions for kids, I can mm-hmm. sleep at night, I feel pretty good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I can take everything else that comes along with, you know, that position. And so that is, um, you know, kind of how I like to take it. I, I, I don't get too frustrated about it. I know that everybody's going to coach from the sideline yeah. uh, who's not in the seat because everybody has a better way or a better idea yeah. of how to do it. But they don't necessarily have all the facts and, uh, you know, understand exactly what has to be done. And so you have to understand that when you get into various positions that mm-hmm. everybody everybody can be their quarterback and 
you know, tell you how to coach, tell you how, how what you should be preaching, but they right. don't have all the facts. They don't. They may not even understand the Bible well enough to be able to, you know, um, be able to do that. But they think sometimes thinks they 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 know it better than you. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, um, I always say and tell my uh, students that hey, you you listen to folks, be respectful. Um, you know, you, you listen to their uh, opinions and you make the best decision for students all the time. <laughs> you gave such a wonderful diplomatic answer. Well, what, really what you want to say is, go sit down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, I admire uh, the the. the the diplomacy that, that, that you, but but I, I know that it has to be frustrating sometimes mm-hmm. when everybody thinks they know how to tell you how to do your job. Mm-hmm. I think one of the one of the major uh, drawbacks to charter schools in Baton Rouge is that you've had people who might be well intentioned but don't really know a whole lot about education, mm-hmm. uh, who have been the sponsors uh, behind charter schools, right. and and the fact that I have a concern about children and about mm-hmm. their welfare and a well-intentioned concern mm-hmm. and want to see them succeed mm-hmm. doesn't mean that I'm qualified to do your job. Right. I'm not trained mm-hmm. to do your job. Mm-hmm. And so the best thing that I can do is to come to you and say, hey, I'm here to help if there's a way that I can be of support to you. <laughs> and then stay out of your way and let you do right. your job. <laughs> yes, that, that, would be, that would be ideal. Yeah, But everyone has an opinion and everyone... Wants to be a part, and, yeah. and and that's the, you know, the part of a leader is being able to, kind of bring everything together. But knowing that, you have a a, a vision ahead, and you have goals that are set, and you have to you know reach those goals. And so, in knowing that, you know, I just kind of take it in and more diplomatic. <laughs> well, I appreciate you taking the time to come and share with us today. Yes, th- thank you. I have been enlightened by by this experience, and uh, I hope you come by and share with us at Shiloh's real soon. Yes, we will. I'm hoping to bring uh, a team of folks just to visit in the whole uh, South Baton Rouge area and, you know, get to be a part of the community, and I'm looking forward to working with you all. I know we have something going on at some point where we are able to reach out and kind of get you uh, into the school and, and, and be able to help us out. Thank you again for coming by, Doc. All right. Thank you. All right. <laughs> this is our Thrive Podcast for today. Thank you all for listening and our viewing. We'll be back again next week. Thanks. <laughs>